Hello and welcome to the Dirt Buzz. I'm host Dale Spangler. This episode's guest is another power sports industry insider who's worked at multiple iconic brands through the years in both motorcycle and bicycle and currently holds the marketing manager position for Yoshimura R&D of America. Eric Bartoldis, welcome to the Dirt Buzz. What are you up to today? Man, just uh, <laughs> rolling with the punches, man. Appreciate you uh, having me on, Dale. Just, uh, I always love doing these because, well, obviously, um, I love listening to people's stories. And um, yeah, I just, I like, that's why I love doing these things when people are driving. It's, it's much better, better than listening to the radio or if they're flying around or whatever they're doing. It's kind of fun to listen to people's stories. So yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I recently uh, made a little road trip up to visit a friend in Montana and pretty much listened to podcasts the whole way there and back. And And one of the ones in, in, in particular was this podcast called uh, How I Built This, and it's Guy Raz, and I think it's on NPR. Unbelievable if you haven't listened to it, but it's just all these different sort of iconic brands, you know, that have like Squarespace and... uh all bird shoes and it's just like how they started out you know finding these businesses and like how luck was involved and it was just a super super kind of encouraging for somebody like myself who's just starting out with my own business so it was kind of fun but um yeah that's cool man what the yeah so what so uh i, I assume you're probably heading out to palo here this weekend uh not today but yeah saturday morning i'll uh i'll head out there real early and uh just spend the day in the sun with uh, 20,000 other friends of mine. <laughs> yeah, it should be fun, though. I mean, I've, I've talked a lot about this with, with other guests that, man, it just seems like the atmosphere is, is just electric right now. It is. It's cool. I think I think the series, I think on the 450 side, I think Ferrandis, I mean, obviously he doesn't use our product, but I think it's been a really surprise breath of fresh air, like, you know, Eli and Ken are doing their thing, but... Dude, Ferrandis is the real, real deal, and then obviously the two fifty, the two fifty championship is just watching Jet and and Cooper go at it. It's just it's insane, you know. Like there's a, and then you know you look at the attendance out there, what's happening at the races. People are just they're going, they're they're buying tickets like crazy to go and and watch these events and and get back out there, and it's just cool. It's it's great to see and. um it's a great time, obviously, to be a fan of the sport for sure. Yeah, I feel like people are—we're all starving for it, you know. Like being able to get out there and see some real raw action in in person instead of you know digitally, you know, like we've all gotten so used to. But but to go back to what, like, you, know, I, you had a good point there, like with, with Ferrandis. I feel like in some ways it's almost like Ferrandis is sort of like turning the clock back to those RC days, where like he's on a different level with. That's all he does. You know, like he's, he's been quoted as saying, you know, like fun for me is winning, you know? So it's like, he's just at that different place that I think maybe some other racers are at at the moment. Yeah. I mean, I obviously those guys would ever always tell you what, you know, obviously when things are clicking, they're clicking, they're clicking for Ferrandis for sure. But, you know, I think the one thing that that guy is, is a hundred percent hungry, you know, like, uh, you know, you mentioned RC, I think a lot like RC, like that guy was hungry, man. Like, whether it was first championship or the last one he made, he got that guy was hung it out. Yeah. And I think, I think Ferrandis is willing to hang it out. I mean, obviously everybody's, yeah. a lot of people have seen that, that quad he was doing at Bud's Creek, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Th- there's no reason you need to do that, but the guy <laughs> wants to win. Right. And yeah. So That's going to get into people's heads too, you know, for sure. And I, I just think from a fan's aspect, it's, cool to see that it's not like he's going through the motions and he's winning because he's the best in shape guy dude the guy's hungry and he wants to win you know and yeah he doesn't again, like to lose he's either not our guy but I, I i appreciate the heck out of that you know yeah absolutely so to kind of switch direction a little bit let's talk a little bit more about you and your career your long career in power sports and and bicycle which you know i'd i'd learned a little bit doing, doing some research on you and but man, I have to say, first off, to say, Jesus, man, you're you're a you're a mark, you're a media machine. You're like just just <laughs> like typing in your name, man, and just seeing what comes up in Google. It's it's unreal. Like the, the term prolific comes up as you're somebody that's just constantly like in the media doing stuff. And good job on that, man. It just seems like you're everywhere. <laughs> I appreciate that, man. You know, it's funny. I don't honestly, and this doesn't sound weird, but I don't try to to do any of that stuff. I, I mean, I like. 
I like talking to friends like what we're talking right now. And, and I think it just leads to conversation and there's good conversation and stuff pops up. And, you know, I've, I think I've, I just have lived a blessed life to where, I, you know, when I started racing bicycles, I grew up, my first bike was an MR50 and I kind of grew up on dirt bikes. And then mom and dad, dad got divorced when I was around 11 years old and couldn't afford to race motocross. So I got in BMX and I've kind of been on two wheels my whole life. And I just, I, I, I've been one of those lucky ones that have been able to um, make a living. However, um, you might want to phrase that. Sometimes it was thick, sometimes it was thin, but, um, you know, been able to make a living off the doing the stuff I really, really love to do. And, 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 you know, I learned early on um, just traveling and doing BMX stuff and how to, you know, um, I think uh, present myself and, and, to uh, be nice to people and be approachable. And, uh, you know, if you're trying to get sponsors or if you're, you're staying over people's house and laying and sleeping on their couch or whatever, it's, it's just all those things that you learn to do when you're younger. And, and, and I, uh, I don't know, I've just, I, I've just been around the right people and fell in the right cracks to, to just have this rad life and in a career in, in the bicycle industry. And now for the last 21 years in power sports, you know, and it's, it's just, it's been really cool, man. I, I just, I was telling somebody, actually, I was, I was getting an acai bowl yesterday and, uh, the girl always, I come in and she always knows what I want. She's like, how was your day? I'm like, man, my day was awesome. I just, I love what I do. And she's just like, man, nobody comes in saying that, you know? And, <laughs> and honestly, I meant it. I mean, I really do love what I do. And, and, and I tell her, I was like, you know, it's hard for me. The biggest thing, my, you know, my wife has to tell me to turn it off. Because I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going, you know, cause I just, <laughs> it's, it's what I do. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, man, I just feel like I've just been so blessed and I just love, love what I do. And I think, you know, just to circle back, maybe, maybe that's why people want to talk to me. I don't know, <laughs> but no, I, I totally agree. Like I wrote that word down approachable. Cause I'm like, that just really a, a kind of epitomizes you because, you know, some of the first times I've met you, I just like, man, this guy is just you know, like people are around you all the time and you're just like, you just draw people to you because you're just such a nice down to earth, approachable guy. And like you mentioned, like people sleeping on your couches and I mean, I can just tell you like, you're that type of guy that will give the shirt off your back, you know? And so I think that's probably the reason, you know, you have a great story to tell and you're just a nice, genuine, nice guy. So I just think, dude, honestly, like it, this sounds so cliche and corny, but, but honestly, life's too short, man. Like, you know, I tell people even even here, you know, that that they're bummed out about their job or whatever they're doing. I'm like, dude, go find something you love to do and go do it. Like if it's pouring Slurpees at 7-Eleven or if it's <laughs> being a banker, whatever that is, go find it because life is too short to do miserable to be miserable, man. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when we get a little older, we start to think a lot more about that, don't we? You know, like how every every minute, every hour, you know, like I, I personally don't want to spend time doing things that I dread too, you know? And so I completely agree with you on that, man. It's life is too short to be doing something, be dragging around all this anger or whatever, because you don't like your job. So, and we're lucky that way, you know, like we, whether it's bicycle or motorcycle, I mean, we, we work in a pretty damn fun industry to where, man, not, not many complaints here. Like I've tried numerous times to get out of this industry, but there's no way, you know, I can't imagine. I tell people, Living here in Idaho, I'm like, imagine working for Simplot and having to go to work every day and market potatoes, you know? Like yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't have the same ring as this motorcycle exhaust or gear or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, too, like, even though we're in the industry, I think it's really easy to get jaded, dude. I think and calloused and like, ah, this guy's doing it like this. I'm tired of the way they do this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, dude, when, whenever I get, you know, because, you know, you get like that sometimes. I think whenever those things happen, it's time to take a ride. And if that doesn't work, it's time to go on a trip, go on another state and ride your mountain bike or go on, go on a long motorcycle ride or something because it just brings perspective back to why we do what we do and how we do it. And, you know, cause like I said, I think, I think you can get really kind of boxed in like the, the, just like, man, just working so sort hard. Sort of jaded maybe. Totally. Yeah. So I always, yeah. that's what's so cool about our industry though. It's like, whether it's a bicycle or a motorcycle, dude, you just get on it and dude, after you get done with the ride or, you know, you hanging out with your buddies and you have a good time, 
it's all better, you know? Yep. Hit the reset button. Yeah, like kind of like what I was telling you before we came on. I was like, you know, I just made that trip up to – well, actually, I started off. So I drove over to Preston, Idaho, where the National Grand Prix Championship had a round at, at uh, Cache Valley MX, which happens to be where the Napoleon Dynamite movie was shot. And so, of course, I had to drive around and check out the house and all that. But it was just a fun little – yeah, oh, that's cool. I thought that was, I thought that was shot in um, down in um, southern uh, Utah, like Kanab. I thought that was shot down there, but I think probably you're probably right in that parts of it were probably shot there. But like maybe like the B roll, like random shots were like the high school and the actual house that he lived in. Like I drove to the house where where they where Napoleon lived, so it was totally out oh, in the middle cool. of nowhere. And yeah, some lady sitting on the front porch reading a book, and so I drove by, kind of embarrassed, like. You know, afraid to stop because I didn't want to stop and be like you obnoxious tourists. So I just kind of kept driving. But <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, pretty so you, funny. You probably drove by and she's like, "Well, there's another one." <laughs> yep, exactly. So yeah, I did that fun little thing, and yeah, I just by myself, and then went up to my buddies in Montana. And man, I just feel like I came back like refreshed, you know, because yeah. just to get a change of scenery these days with everything we've all gone through, you know, it's you need that, like you said, that reset. And, Unfortunately, I have a I have a street bike right now, but I'm just so over it because of the the traffic's gotten so nuts here in Boise that I'm in the process. I'm going to put that sucker up for sale and get another adventure bike here so I can get out and get that feeling when you, you keep talking about because man, we all need it, don't we? Yeah, for sure. And, and yeah, you, you, and, it, and again, same thing. Like you, you're finding out like for you what works. Like the street bike there isn't working, then get an adventure bike and head out into the gravel or whatever. Right. But, um, but just finding what that, what that is for you is so important, you know? Yep. I totally agree. And, and for me, for me, it's anything two wheels. I could be on my motorcycle on my mountain bike or whatever. It's just, I get the same. Um, I mean, it's a different, it's a different level of stuff. Cause it's the, the, obviously your heart rate's not up on a motorcycle, but I get the yeah. same release, you know, like when I get home after a, like a long ride, I, I have a, a Honda Grom that I ride back and forth to work and it's about 25 miles and I ride through this canyon um, um, back and forth to work. And dude, it is the <laughs> best, it's the best therapy. And even though there's traffic and, and sometimes cars are going slow in front of me, but I can't wait to get to the canyon part because it just... Gosh, people are like, it's so funny here at work. They're like, dude, they make fun of me because I ride the little bike, you know? But honestly, <laughs> one of the funnest things I've ever had is this on the ground because you can use all the motorcycle, right? And it's just, you're, you're doing 60 instead of 120 and you can appreciate the scenery around you, you know? Anyway, yeah. just when I get to work, people are like, why are you so happy? I'm like, dude, I just rode my motorcycle. <laughs> why wouldn't I be happy, you know? Yeah, that sounds fun, man. Yeah, just pinned on that thing like you're on an old 125 or something, just cobbed, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you're you're using all the motorcycle, and there's some something gratifying about that. But then also, you know, when I've been on a big leader bike or something, dude, you're you're looking a quarter mile ahead of you everywhere, you know, within that, that 10 to 2 o'clock range in front of you. And you're just like, that's what you have to do. And yeah. that you don't have to do that on, on a small mini bike, but you can appreciate the holes in the road or the trees you're going by or whatever it is, you know, um, yeah. a small bike because you're doing 55 or 60 versus, you know, you, you know, you can stop the motorcycle in a heartbeat if you need to, you know? Yeah. My biggest thing on the street, I just, I just cannot get myself to fully relax. And I know we probably, you probably shouldn't, you know, just because of like what you're saying, there's too many other factors, but that was the hard thing for me. I just like when I get to dirt, you know, I just feel like oh, I finally take a deep breath and relax. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, see, that that's your thing, then. You know, then you should stay off yeah. the street, and that you should be on the dirt because that if you're stressed out, you don't want that. You know. Yeah. Sadly, I mean, I love that bike too. It's a T120 Triumph, and God, things is such a sounds rad. It just looks rad, and you know, when you grab a handful, it's fun. But yeah, I just can't deal with the other part of it. But let's let's uh, let's talk yeah. a little bit more about you on the man. So I didn't realize, man, you're a total badass BMX racer. I mean, you just for like over twenty <laughs> years. You know, I looked that up, and I'm like, there's all these cool old photos, and and then I found this uh, uh, database, people of BMX database, where there's all these movies, and then you're in. I think there was two movies. One of them's called Dead Sailor, and I started watching that. It was super hilarious and rad because it's like <laughs> it reminded me of like Krusty, you know, like some of the original Krusties, that kind of vibe, you know. And uh, yeah. 
Tell me about that, dude. Yeah, That's, yeah. I mean, how did you get so you're age 11, you started racing, and then you turned pro, and then so I imagine, are you going all over the place, just like, you know, pro motocrossers and stuff? Traveling yeah, so uh, I guess just to start from the beginning, my mom, um, so my mom and dad, like I said, got divorced, and there wasn't a lot of money to go race in BMX, but she worked, and uh, she got me to the races, dude, and I lived in Florida at the time, and um, I went all over the state racing BMX, and I just loved it. You know, I just, this is in... Um, I started racing in 79. So my mom, somehow she got me to the races or my brother took me or I went with some neighborhood people and I went all over the state racing, um, all over the, I mean, all through high school, you know, I was that, that kid that wasn't, didn't participate in any high school sports or anything. Um, Same as I was me. always at a BMX race, <laughs> you know, I was always at a BMX race, just going out of town or going out of state and racing and, and it was, I was kind of that oddball in school for sure. But I'm like, you know, I'm, I love my bike, you know? Um, and then, you know, and then, um, I just, I think that just that passion just carried me through. Like, you know, when cars came into play, when I turned 16, I got the cheapest, oldest piece of junk station wagon I could. And that, cause the thing was 200 bucks. And I, you know, I loaded people in it and I took people to the races cause it was so expensive for gas. And, uh, you know, I still, the passion for, for just racing in two wheels. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I was just busboy jobs or construction or whatever I had to do to pay the bills to go, to go race BMX, you know? And, and as I turned pro back in, um, I think it was in 86 when I turned pro, um, the same thing, you know, I would just, I was kind of a mediocre guy. I didn't like the world on fire for sure. But, you know, I won some races and I was a kind of, I would say more of a mid packer. I, um, maybe if I made the main, I'd be maybe fourth through sixth or something like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I just, I just loved it. And, and I was just paying my way and I, you know, I won some money and it would get me to the next race. And then, you know, I'd had bicycle sponsors that would help me for, you know, stay with them or get me product or whatever. And, and that's the, that's how it worked, you know? Yeah. So how did you, so then how did you make that sort of transition from, cause it looks like, I think I saw where 89, you get, you land a job at GT bicycles and then, I mean, that's not too long after you said you turned pro. So were you kind of doing at that point, were you racing, but then maybe sort of looking for, you know, an opportunity with a company like that? Yeah. Well, I, I would say I, I was always wanting to be that, that pro, that top high end pro. Mm -hmm. And when, um, my buddy and I, we moved out to California in 1988. He said, you know, he was, uh, uh, his name is Todd Corbett. I don't know if you know TC, but he, um, he raced for Murray. He was, he was a lot better than I was. And he had, he had the sponsors that were good paying sponsors. And he said, Hey dude, if we're going to do anything, we need to go to California in the sport and, and we need to get out of here. And I'm like, I'm ready. Let's go. And we were living together at the time and we packed everything up and we moved out to California. And, um, as soon as I got out here, I got a job at a bicycle distributor. And again, I was just, you know, same thing, just trying to make money to get to the next race kind of thing. Yep. And then um, a friend of ours worked at GT Bicycles in the marketing department. And he's like, hey, you need to come over because we would do tours in the summertime. And GT wanted more of a, a, a stable tour, like a, a clinic tour where you would go around and we'd have pros and then we'd teach kids you know, the basics in and outs of racing BMX and, and those type of things. So I kind of organized that for the last two years for his company. Then he went to work for GT and he basically said, Hey, GT needs this. So we basically did on a, in a on a bigger scale and I got hired at GT in, in 89 to do that. And that's really, I mean, I thought I had any education growing up through racing BMX and just trying to, you know, present myself, you know, the whole thing we talked about, but working for GT from, um, in, um, 1989 through to, through it, it's, I would say it's USA end in, uh, in 2001 was the raddest education I could ever imagine working for one of the coolest, most progressive bicycle companies in the world with uh, a guy named Richard Long that, um, that he was the, he was one of the, the co-founders of GT, Gary Turner and Richard Long, man, that guy, I, I just think that there's, you know, you, that guy that ran GT, you know, he, I just think there's only a handful of people in the world that had vision like he did and had the drive and had the, the, 
the guts to lay it all out on the line when he needed to. And, and that's what made GT so successful all through the 80s and the 90s, which was Richard Long. And, and it just attracted great people. Like we, I, I, like I said, I got, I feel like I got an education there mm-hmm. because I work with some of the best people in the bicycle industry, even to this day. You know, it's almost like, you see people that, that work at GT that they work for specialized or they work for Yeti now or they work for what, whatever that, that, that cool bicycle brand is because of all the stuff they learned at GT, you know? Yeah. And I always like to say like, you know, we, we, no, nobody really got paid really well at GT because it, it just didn't happen. But man, that was, you went on from GT and you had it was like that was on your resume you're like oh shoot this guy knows what he's talking about because he worked at gt you know and uh it it was just a cool and experience for me to just um all the things i did there and and just learned how to do marketing and learned how to you know hands-on stuff not from books or classes but how the real world turns you know so yeah absolutely that was one to be one of my questions is how did you kind of work your way into the marketing because I mean, it sounds like you were just sort of thrust into it and then you just sort of learned by being around others, which I actually have the similar, like I was, my first job, I was hired as a draftsman for Cometic Gasket. And then eventually just because I had an interest in it, I started some marketing and writer support for them. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know how you, you, you sort of started in that, you know, did you start in marketing or was it, did you kind of work your way up? So, you know, honestly, like I, I never really sat down and thought about it, but like all through when I was a young kid and just trying to present myself to sponsors, you're marketing yourself yeah. always. Yep. Right? And so I think <clears throat> when I was doing that, I was marketing myself. And when I went to work for GT, I learned how a company did marketing, whether it was through sports marketing or marketing a product or how, you know, how we're building a product and developing a product and how to market it because it has all these different attributes to it, whatever. Right. So yeah, I just, I think I just had a foundation of um, learning how to how to market myself, and then you just apply that to product, you know. And and I think that you know, for however you know, maybe my ingredients for success were like you know, I learned how to market myself, and I love what I do. And then, dude, you just apply that to a product, yep. and you bring that passion across, and um, and you have so much. Um, yeah, after after so many times you do something, you gain experience and you know how that, that, that engine works, you know? And, um, and you know, the, the tools that you use, whether, you know, a a print magazine or now it's, it's, it's electronic, all the stuff that we do, it's, there's, and you know, the, the tools change, but I think that the, the, the marketing aspect is still, there's a lot of key foundational things that do not change. And I think that, you know, you, you just have to mold and shape to, um, you know, the, the newest methods and, and those type of things. But, but I think that the, the, those key things that, that drive marketing don't change. And I think I, I got those, um, those things just, just by being passionate about what I do and being interested and, and, and honestly being consumer of, of these products. Yeah. Like, you know, when, when I got out of the bicycle industry, I'm like, dude, I got to pay for bicycle stuff now. You know, a lot of times I was paying retail, but. Being consumer, whether it's you know buying a, a power sports accessory or part, or on the um, on the bicycle side, like I think that I think that um, being a consumer and and uh, somebody that uses the products and, and then looks at what other people does and being interested in that has helped me as well. You know, so it's not like it's not like I work in the power sports industry and I go home and I go bowling. You know, dude. <laughs> I'm buying stuff for my Grom. I'm buying stuff for my mountain bike all the time because I love, I love it. You know, I love, I love looking at other companies. You know, I loved it looking at our competition and what they do and not, and, and learn what to, not to do and, and, and understand that the, the, uh, the elements of the company that I work for and how, I don't know. I, it's just, um, it's one of those things that, you know, some people it comes naturally to you and some people are just like, you know, my wife's a, a principal for a school district and she is completely cut out for what she does. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like I, I rather stick bamboo sticks underneath my fingernails than do what she does, <laughs> but she is great at it. She just handles it. She knows she grew up, um, you know, not grew up, but she was uh, 
almost 18, 20 years as a, as a teacher in the classroom. And she knows kids and she knows how to handle them. And, you know, those type of things. It's like, I just think that when you're cut out for something, it's just like you're born to do it. I just feel like that's, that's, that's me, you know? Yeah. And it's hard to just go, Hey, this is what you do. Blah, 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 to be a marketing person in power sports. <laughs> well, I think it's different for everybody, but then, you know, I just kind of gave you the ingredients, how and why it worked for me. And I think it's how and why it worked for me is just because I just love it, dude. And, and maybe that's just stems from being on two wheels from when I was a little kid, but <laughs> that, that's how it is, you know? Yeah. I also think, I mean, I think you have a natural ability, you know, like you have just had this natural marketing ability. And then combine combine that with your passion, like you were saying, and and uh, I mean it doesn't. I mean, I, I personally like. I'm curious about this, like what you think. But I feel like you're probably one of those guys that's a very intuitive marketer. You know, like if it doesn't feel right, you know, like it doesn't matter if it's digital or print or whatever it is. I've always felt like there's a big, you know, intuitive intuition. I think is such a huge part of marketing that gets overlooked. Everything's so data driven these days. Where like still has to feel right to you and feel like the right thing that you're going to do in that moment. Would you, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. And I, and I think too, um, just going back to what we were just talking about, I think, I think being a, a, I think being first a consumer of what we do, of what I do, yep. that, that helps me immensely, dude. Cause like I said, I just love going out, buying stuff, looking at packaging. Hey, why did they use this? Why did they do this? You know? And, you know, maybe, maybe yeah. packaging 50 things of these things together works like that. But maybe for the consumer, when he, the person gets it at the, the, the end user, maybe that's a dumb idea, you know? So I, I think just, I think that, you know, that, like you say, that intuitive thing, I honestly, I, I, mm -hmm. just, I look at something from uh, somebody that wants to, who's, who's going to want to buy this when they buy it. What, what do, what are they doing to, um, to understand, um, to understand the product and, and how it's being used, you know? So like you say, like some of that data stuff, you got to use that too. But I think a lot of what we do is, uh, is, is driven, um, by, um, by passion and instinct and stuff, especially in the power sports and the bicycle industry. So, um, yeah, I, I think first and foremost for me, that, that intuitive thing, like you're saying is, is looking at it from a, an end user's aspect first and then working back from there. Yeah, like I want the one example that comes to mind that you you guys did that I thought was it just completely appealed to just the fun factor of power sports was the Grom exhaust because and there actually was the monkey sorry the monkey exhaust I mean that thing was just felt like that thing went viral you know like the first time you guys mounted that exhaust up and then did your sort of like drive by where you get to hear it and I mean I I remember sharing that I think I might have been at was I at Tucker or Western I don't know, one of those two but I remember that thing going crazy on social media it was just such a cool fun video. Yeah, and I think um, you know, I'd love to take credit for that, but I think that um, you know, just goes back to our team here. We've got uh, I, I work for, you know, an incredible company called Yoshimira first and foremost. And I think that, you know, I think so many things led up so many things led up to that monkey exhaust being so popular. Number one, we you know, we are in mini bikes, we're on the small bore scene for sure. So so the monkey comes and we're just like kind of the way we did that is we took our team and just said, Hey, you know what? Let's just look at this thing from, uh, you know, an aspect of like, let's throw out the kitchen sink and let's try to put every detail on this thing as we can. Like, and again, from a consumer aspect, again, just like I was saying, like if I was riding this monkey, yep. why would I be stoked to put this exhaust on, you know? So we have Sounds the capability of doing some really, <laughs> yeah, we have the capability of doing some really cool. I mean, we're always going to make a great exhaust. That's what Yoshimura does. But I said, hey, you know, let's sweat the details on this thing, you know, whether it's a, a washer, a spring, whatever we were able to do, you know, the titanium tip that was on it. I said, let's just, let's make something that's like detail driven and, 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 and from a marketing aspect, from an R&D aspect, from, you know, every, every way we did it. It just knocked the ball in the park, and it's because so many people are like, "Yeah, let's let's try to do as much as we can with this thing and make and, and sweat the details." And and it just rather than just making exhausted, throw it on a bike, and, and people would say, "Are you crazy?" That's you know, I, I hear it all the time. It's like, dude, that's a that's almost half the cost of the bike or a quarter of the cost of the bike. It's like, yeah, but it 
that doesn't matter. You know, you've got to throw that out the window. Like you were saying about data. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make sense to spend all that money to exhaust. But if you own one of these motorcycles, the heck it doesn't. It sure does make all the sense in the world to do it because number one, your bike looks cool. Number two, it sounds great. Number three, the performance is there. So there's, you know, those three points that we all try to hit, we hit them. And yeah, it's just the monkey exhaust was a, is a, was a great example of how um, we don't design in a box here. We actually, everybody gets involved in throwing their two cents at something. And, and that was a great, uh, a great piece that shows, showcased that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you guys just have totally crushed it <laughs> on that particular one. And I, I've, I feel like that, that product is one of those to where if you made a list of, you know, like what, what, if you had to choose one item for that monkey above all else, I feel like that would be the item. You know, like I feel like it's yeah. that good, you know? Yeah. And I think too, just, just speaking of the small board, cause I talk about this all the time. I'm like, you know, when you ride one of these things all the time and you're, you're, you having fun on these things, you, you almost, one of the things you need is performance out of the thing. So it's almost like you want to, especially cause I'm like 250 pounds. Um, you, when you're taking off from light, you don't want to be lagging. The last thing you want to do is get rear-ended, right? So you want to have some performance built into the bike. And so one of the things you have to have is the exhaust. And um, and I think that's just like it's one of those things, like whether it's a Grom or a Monkey or a Z125, that's, uh, that's some of the stuff that we really specialize in. And and, and people take note of that. And, and just because Yoshimura is like the heritage of this company is performance, the the one thing you're going to get from Yoshimura exhaust is performance for sure. So, so, so let's back up a little bit and talk again. So you're at GT bicycles. You start there, like you said, in 89, it's really kind of like, I guess you would say sort of cut your teeth in the marketing side of things with them, learned a ton. And then you, you move on and you, and you, I guess you bust into power sports with, for trans world motocross as an associate editor. So how did you, how did you make that transition? Oh, and I also noticed that you did a short stint with ESPN as a commentator. What was that about? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that, that was, um, that was from the BMX, BMX thing. And oh, uh, cool. Because I was, uh, I did so much, so much stuff. Like we, at GT, we shot 16 millimeter film for doing um, commercials on TV. Cause we had our own, like uh, we produced a TV show at, for BMX races to try to really carry the sport. And so I think that, you know, um, Talking is one of the things I, I think I do <laughs> with part of my <laughs> job. And, um, and, and I, and so ESPN, um, some friends that were actually running that, um, um, there was a Vans triple crown series that was like more of a downhill BMX thing, um, that transitioned into, into, uh, at ESPN. And they're like, Hey, Biggie, you'd be perfect for this, um, doing the color commentary, commentating. And so, yeah, for two years, I, um, I was able to, uh, I was, the guy behind the the microphone at uh, doing the X Games for for um, ESPN. Sweet, so you're like the the BMX Daniel Blair in some ways. Huh? <laughs> you're doing that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I think um, again, I just uh, it, I think my passion just bleeds through a lot of the stuff I do, and I think that came across to those guys that saw something, and I was lucky enough to do that. And, and for the for the two years that was that was part of the X Games. Uh, I was part of that. So yeah, it was, it was rad. So yeah, then, so the trans world, uh, that surprised me because for some reason I didn't remember, like, I think I was at Smith optics around that same time that you were at trans world, 2001, 2003, but I don't, yeah, I don't remember ever like you and I sort of interacting. Actually, I don't remember the first time we met, <laughs> but, but yeah. might've been Western power sports when I way back when, but, um, I think that, well, it's kind of fun the way that, the way that happened. So, you know, like I was just always in the moto, like it's, a, it's like when I, when I, when I think I was six years old, I got an MR50. And, um, anyways, I was always riding dirt bikes, no, no matter, you know, it, um, when, when I got older, um, after when I was at GT, um, I got another dirt bike and I was always going out to the track. And those years I was at GT, we sponsored Jeremy McGrath for, since he was, since he got on a 250 all the way through his pro career. Nice. So, um, we, you know, so I knew Jeremy, I knew Jimmy Button. And then when I would always go out to ride the local tracks here, I, I, I met Don Maeda. And, you know, when things went upside down at GT, Don 
said, Hey, you know, it's crazy. Like we're the magazine's going monthly. We need, we need staff. I think you'd be a great guy. You, you know, product, um, obviously because of your background and you're such a fan of the sport, like you, you know, everything, you know? So he, I test kind of test drove me in some articles and stuff. And, and then I got hired at Transworld. Don hired me over there. So, um, that was my, I'd like to say Don always gave me my first break on the power sports side of things because he saw that again, it wasn't because I did everything right, but I think the passion again bled through. Yep. And, um, and then, yeah, I started, I worked at Transworld, um, for, um, I think it was, um, 2000, end of 2001 to April of 20, 2003. Yep. That must've been fun, dude. That, that's always been on my very short list of things that I would love to do someday for even for a short amount of time. But obviously it's changed a lot since then, you know, there's print magazines a lot. Are so rare, you know, and, and now yeah. it's like, you know, I just had Anton on from, from swap moto and, you know, he was talking all a lot about just, you know, how much you know, there's so much pressure these days for like, you can't create content fast enough. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. people expect it, you know, on a daily basis. Yeah. So it's, it's really changed, but that had to have been fun. You know, even, even just to understand the inner workings of a magazine, you know, like when you moved on to other jobs, it probably helped you a ton. Oh, for sure. It did. Um, um, I mean, when, at, when I was at Transwell, I got to know, everybody in the power sports industry, like I did in the bicycle industry, because I was the media guy and whether it was a product or a racer or a race team or a team manager, um, that the being that trans world kicked the door open me, kicked the door open for me for, for all of that. Yeah. So, um, and just cause I'm a sponge, I just, you know, soaked it all up, you know, and, and learned so much doing that. And so when I went from there to answer pro taper, uh, in 2003, I just, it just gave me another springboard to, to do that job, you know? Absolutely. Uh, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, it's just so funny how everything works together, you know? What were some of the products you worked on and answered during that time of pro taper? Because I, I, re- I had Scott Boyer on, did you work, work at all with him on, on any products? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, I want to say, um, Scott was, Scott was in the, very very distant um when i first got to scott uh did that first got there mm-hmm. but um when um when i did get there one of my things i'm like you know the first thing i did is like why you know like let's let's look at, at pro taper for example number one like when i first started working for answer it was called answer pro taper it was one company and I'm like first thing we need to do pro taper is its own brand it needs to split away yeah it needs to be you know, it needs to be not attached to answer like it is because it had a stigma of, of having answer gear attached to it, you know? So we broke that away and we stood and I said, you know, the first thing we need to do is make grips. Like what, you know, I can't believe we're, we need to make grips. So <laughs> I like to, you know, we, we, you know, I think ODI was making our grips at the time. And then, um, why I worked with Scott Boyer, like kind of sourcing some stuff overseas and we started making grips. And I think, you know, I want to say somewhere like when I first got to answer, we were selling like 4,000 grips a year. And when I left there in um, the beginning of 08, I think we were somewhere around 300,000 pairs of grips a year. Holy shit. So just that alone, you know, was, was, was just huge, you know? Um, uh, and yeah, yeah, just from packaging and naming stuff and, you know, all those things that I did, you know, I worked with Scott Boyer for sure. So like I was kind of the, maybe the person on the team that came up with ideas and Scott ran with it to go get stuff priced and sourced. And and then I worked with somebody in house on packaging and how we things should look at the dealership. Because again, just from that consumer aspect, I'm like, if I'm at a dealer aspect, what do I want to see? How do I want to touch it? How do I want to feel it? If I'm at the counter, do I still want to play with this thing? You know, those type of things um, went into to everything I did there at Answer and Pro Deeper. So um Anyway, I got long-winded again. I forgot what your question was. Oh, no, no, that's all right. No, no, I just I, – yeah, I, I really didn't have a question. I just was curious if you'd work because I, I had Scott. And he talked a lot about, you know, the whole, you know, creating the pro tape or handlebar and just that whole process. And and so but what, what was, was that during the period that when you were at Answer Pro Taper, was that when Stuart was was an answer guy? I can't remember the uh, No, I left. Yeah, I left. Um, that was I after left, the – 
yeah, a year after that. Um, I think it was a year or two after that Stuart came on board. So, yeah, and you probably weren't part of that because one other thing Scott and I talked about is like the Manitou sort of collaboration there where they were doing all the bicycle parts and forks, you know, all that kind of stuff. And answer was that after you too? Or? Um, that was in the 90s before I got to, to be with answer. Yeah. I, I didn't realize it was that. I guess I forgot it was that long ago, but. So yeah, so you're so you're at Answer, and then man, you've worked for so many amazing companies. So then you do some time at Six Six One, and then Sete Bicycles, I think, was another one you did, and and then consulting, yep. and then you did a little bit of was that like your own gig for a little while, the Letter Five Consulting? Yeah, so the Letter Five Consulting, I was actually just um, I, I actually did um, some stuff with some smaller companies that kind of helped guide them, and then um, obviously you know Simon could be he was one of my and still is one of my best friends, and I was never heard of him. Help, um, yeah, <laughs> I was always going out with uh, going out with him doing shoots, whether it was a team shoot or because he had so many clients and so much stuff to do, he could always use uh, an assistant. Yeah, you know? so I, I kind of helped him on that. So you know, that was kind of the you know when um, the implosion of Valencia Sport Group was six six one. I was kind of like, man, I was kind of getting older. Um, there was some people that maybe you know the, the power sports industry went for this gigantic downturn, obviously, you know, in 08, 09, when, and everything was just like plummeting. Remember that? Oh, obviously. yeah. Yep. And so it was hard to hard to get a job unless, you know, in the industry. And so I'm like, well, I'm just going to, I can do my own thing. Simon needs help. I, I can consult for some companies and kind of try to make some kind of a living that way. And uh, and I did that for about a year and a half. And then, um, yeah, and then, and then ironically, the Yoshimura, thing came up so um yeah so i've, I've been here since uh, 2013 wow so you've done during that time you've probably been through quite a bit like where you guys you guys were basically if i'm not if i'm correct here i mean you guys were basically in charge of the suzuki road race team right like kind of a big part of that and um just you know a lot's gone on in your ta- tenure you know there and one thing that stood out though i read this line that said um and I think it's really, really cool. It says Yoshimura will never be part of a venture capitalist group. And I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having gone through that, working for a company that's, well, not necessarily venture capital, but, you know, like has a board of directors when I was at Tucker, man, it's a different environment. <laughs> you know, it's a tough environment if you're not used to it. That's for sure. It is. It is for sure. And, uh, and again, like, I think, again, however things worked out for me, um, uh, that that was one of the reasons I think uh, that Valencia Sport Group just imploded because of the the VC money that got invested in mm-hmm. there and it kind of ripped Eddie Cole's hands off the wheel. But but I think you know here at Yoshimura, just going back to what you're saying, I think um, one of the raddest things I, I just think this company is just so unique that I work for. It's um, it's coming up on almost a 70 year anniversary oh, wow. of being in business and. Um, you know, there's there's Yoshimura in the U.S., Yoshimura R&D of America, and then there's Yoshimura Japan. There's two kind of sibling companies, and um, this company is a family owned, and it's it's going to be family owned for ever because that's the way it's it's always been, and that's the way they want it. And that doesn't mean there hasn't been opportunities to probably try to sell the company, but you know, for better or worse, it's a family owned company, and it will stay in the family for as long as it's around and it's just the, the, um, the kind of like the, the, the way that the roots are down in the, in the dirt with this company and that, um, it's, it's a family owned business and, you know, again, through thick or thin, that's, that's the way it's going to be, you know? Yeah. seems like Yosh, I mean, obviously Yoshimura is kind of synonymous with performance, but I mean, would you say that the outlook is, you know, from you, from your perspective, being a marketer is like, you know, racing focused all the way, or is it, or is it more fun first or kind of a combination of the two? Uh, well, racing is fun. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes, right? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think for, from, uh, from looking at it from a brand perspective, I think it's Yoshimura is about performance because that's, that's what it's always been when pop was, was hand grinding cams. Yep. Um, th- th- it was always about performance for Yoshimura and it was always try to be the, the best you could possibly be and, and, and turn over every rock you can to make the best product you can, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> so, 
I think it's about performance first. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the, the company's lasted as long as it's had and it has the legacy it has because, um, we, we're about performance and we're, and, you know, I think as time's gone on, it's been about customer service too. So it's about, it's about, you know, making the best product we possibly can. And, and that doesn't say that we fall short. I mean, every, everything breaks or something happens to something, especially when performance is involved. Right. Yeah. But again, that's where the aftercare comes in where, you know, however we can make sure that the customer is satisfied, we, we, we try to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I could say, you could say you guys, you know, when, you, when I think about the monkey, I just, I, I would, that's the term uh, performance, performance first fun. That's not, that's what I think of when I think of the monkey, because it's definitely all about the performance yeah. to begin with, but damn, it's fun <laughs> when you put it on a bike like the monkey, you know? So there, that's kind of like what you're talking about where racing is fun. I mean, really it does start at performance, but man, there's certainly a, that side of it, the fun side of it that you can play, play up, especially with some of these dual sport models. Like I would see them all the time come through. I'm like, Oh man, I can't, can't imagine what that bike sounds like with the, with the Yosh exhaust on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, it's, it's just fun to be able to, to add performance to, um, to a thing that that's what you, you, you know, you, when you twist the throttle that you expect something different to happen. Uh, and with the Yoshimura product, that always is the case, you know. Absolutely. Or, you know, that's kind of one of our, our mottos. Is like, dude, if we can't, if we can't improve off the stock exhaust, whether it's lighter, faster, better, or whatever, um, then we're not gonna we're not gonna touch it. So there's there's models that we don't make exhaust for. We're like, it doesn't make sense for us to do that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like I think like a bike like the, I think like the CRF 250L. Like I imagine that makes probably saves 10, 15 pounds and. Adds five to ten horsepower. <laughs> yeah, maybe not five to ten, but it's that that's exactly one of those bikes that man, it just benefits so much from an exhaust because um you know, a company a lot of these companies they don't have time to spend the, the resources and to develop an, an exhaust, and that's all we do. And so when you bolt an exhaust on, you get so much more performance. And especially again on the small bikes, if you you know, like going back to the Honda Grom, if we can improve, if we can add a horsepower to that bike, which a lot of times our exhaust does, um, that's 10% improvement over stock. And that's something on a small bike you feel immediately. Yeah. Like, you know, on a leader bike, you might not feel, um, you not, might, might not feel that extra horsepower or two or four that it puts in the bike because you, you, you know, that bike is so fast already. Um, uh, maybe the, the in the hands of a, a a professional racer, you could actually feel it. But on a, on the, the smaller the, the smaller the bore, the smaller the CC, you you feel these differences on these things. And so, um, like you said, like on a, on a, on one of those CRF two fifty Ls, man, you feel the difference with our exhaust on that bike for sure. Fun factor just goes through the roof too. Yeah, absolutely. So, what would you say? This is probably a a little bit of a loaded question, put you on the spot, but what would you say is one of the biggest changes you've seen and, you know, on your, all of your time in the bicycle and power sports industry? Um, what's one of the biggest changes that, that comes to mind to you that's really kind of made a, a huge difference in the, in the industry? Oh man. I, I would, I would just ask you to maybe, maybe narrow that down because it's, that's a really wide tunnel that you just made. Um, yeah, I mean, is it? Yeah, well, I guess it comes more like, on power sports. So, so power sports, like as far as product goes, or just in the industry, what's happened? Yeah, I, I guess what comes to mind, like major milestones, like like the two stroke, the four stroke, and now this electric movement, and you know, just you know, things like that. Like to me, the electric movement, I think, is probably the most exciting thing in my mind. Even though I'm a, I'm still a fundamentalist, I love the sound of, you know, two strokes and four strokes. I don't care what it is, but. Man, I'm excited to see what happens with the whole electric side of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, we haven't seen that yet, really, uh, in, in power sports. I, obviously, the automotive industries, um, yeah, it's coming more and more into play. Um, I don't think we've seen that in the power sports industry, but I, I think um, something something that I've seen probably is, um, I think, just the the, the what's happened. Yeah, probably in the last 20 years in the dirt market, the off-road market to, um, to see it's just the staying power of dirt bikes, period. Cool. And I think, you know, you see that, um, even through the, the, um, the pandemic, what's happened, 
the, all these people are buying dirt bikes and enduro bikes and off-road bikes just to get out and get away. Um, you're seeing this resurgence of that. And, you know, in the industry, we always talk about how, how are we going to get people on motorcycles? How can we get them on seats? And this, this thing called COVID made it happen. And now that it's happened, what's cool is we've got this whole, you know, from probably five or six or seven years old, all the way up to, you know, 50, 60 year old people buying motorcycles and enjoying themselves on them because a pandemic happened. And it's just like, for once our industry, it's feast or famine, right? But for once our industry is on the, on the other end of the stick, we're like, man, we're enjoying this. And so I guess to answer your question, it's just the, you know, the biggest thing for me is just seeing this resurgence of, um, of motorcycle riding that I think is real. It's not like people riding motorcycles and parking them in the garage. They're using them. They're using them. They're buying tires. They're upgrading things. They're buying batteries. They're buying chains. They're buying all these things that because they're, they're, they're using the, they're, they're back on motorcycles, right? Or there's new enthusiasts. So yep. I think for me, um, there could be a lot of things I could, I could say, but I think for me in the last 18 months, that's been, the coolest thing that I've seen that, that it's like, wow, this is really cool. What's happened to our industry, you know, cause we've always wanted it ever since yeah. I've been in power sports. It's like, man, we need to get new riders. We need to get people on motorcycles. Well, guess what? It's happened. <laughs> We're now, now, now what are we going to do with it? Right? Like how do we keep these people in? And they're just, we're finding that, you know, as you know, just me, you, everybody that gets on a motorcycle and has that, um, that feels that, um, that passion, the, the freedom of two wheels. It, it's so cool what's happened for our industry. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm optimistic about it, but I think it's, you know, it's one of the coolest things that's happened in a long time that, that people are riding motorcycles and they're having fun on them. They're not parked in, in garages, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. Now, I've, there's been a lot of people I think that are finally, you know, you know what? I've always wanted to, you know, ride my motorcycle across the country with my, you know, a couple of my buddies and they're doing it, you know, because it's like, they're, they're realizing, you know, we've, we've all sort of realized that life is short a little bit here, you know, after going through all this, you know, last two years. And, and so I think people are like not waiting any, anymore and they're, they're buying bikes and the UTVs and Can-Am spiders, you know, whatever it is, you know? So yeah, I agree. It's, it's, it's pretty exciting to see. And uh, yeah, it's drawn a ton of attention. I'm, I still am surprised that not more people have, you know, kind of bought bikes for commuting yet. But then again, now that I, after I make that statement, I'm like, I just put myself in those shoes because I was just talking to you earlier about how I don't want to ride on the street around here. So, but no matter what it is, if it's UTV, you know, dirt street, whatever, but it's just great to see what, you know, how our industry has just exploded over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's exciting for me because, you know, not for just my company, but again, from the consumer aspect, I just love to see people on motorcycles having a good time, you know? Yeah. And then I think the other aspect is too, is, is, uh, seems like there's been a lot more interest in older bikes and kind of restoring those and bringing them back and so um i don't see you know gasoline powered motorcycles going away for a long 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 time but you know it's just yeah with, with electric coming in it's, it's definitely gonna be a strange you know but cool at the same time yeah i think um <clears throat> i think the electric thing's gonna get swallowed a bit a little bit differently on the on the motorcycle side but um you know um yusaku uh, Yoshimiro, who's our president, his dad, Fujio, which is the son of Pop. His analogy is, um, <clears throat> you know, there's, uh, there's people that still wear, <clears throat> still wear a Rolex that still has hands on it. And there's people that wear Apple watches, right? There's, they, they, yeah. they, they exist together. So it's true. Uh, I think yeah. that, uh, you know, that's, that's a really good analogy of what, what could happen with a combustion engine and, uh, an electric engine, you know, just two separate segments, but still run, you know, kind of growing together in parallel, maybe. Yeah. Cause I think, like you said, there's a lot of motorcycles, just like there's a lot of cars. There are a bazillion cars out there, combustion engine, right? Yep. And there's, there's the same thing with the motorcycle. And I think, um, they're not, they're not going to go away as fast as maybe some of these politicians want to go away, you know? Yeah, that's true. It always takes way longer than what one would think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, and again, just the that the the feeling, the exhilaration of a combustion engine, uh, and I'm not taking anything away from electric. I know that there's a lot of cool attributes to electric, but 
man, when you feel the vibration, when you feel what a combustion engine does, you know, like yeah. there's, there's nothing else like that, you know, but the same thing with the electric, you know, there's going to be a generation that grows up that just, they're, they're not used to noise or vibration when they, when they twist the throttle or step on an accelerator. So there, you know, there's, it's, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be different for sure. <laughs> it's going to be wild for a while, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Well, Eric, man, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing some of your story. And uh, if there was one piece of advice you'd give someone that was trying to break into the power sports industry, what would, what would it be? Um, you know, honestly, it's, again, it sounds corny. The fundamental thing is just love what you do. Like if, if you love, if you truly love motorcycles and, 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 and what they're about and the feeling you get when you're on one or the freedom, then that's, the, that's where you start. If you don't love it, then I would say don't get into it because it just compounds the fact after, you know, cause when it gets gnarly, you're going to like, I hate what I do, you know? You never yeah. want to get yep. to that point. So I think the best advice I could give, you know, whether in power sports or just life, man, just you gotta love what you do, or just go find what you love to do and 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 do it because that's that's what makes the difference. Yep, I totally agree. Well, again, Eric, thank you so much. Um, awesome to hear some of your story and amazing all the cool stuff that you've done for our industry and and for a lot of these iconic brands within bicycle and power sports so kudos to you for a long great career and uh do you, would you say that you're probably uh um i mean obviously you're going to keep going at yoshimura but uh is there anything on the horizon coming up that uh you want to share with our listeners yeah i mean no i just uh, i think we're just gonna you know, we're Yoshimura on the, on the Yoshimura side, we're really investing in our company and we're trying to, we're being more efficient here. And I think on the other side of this pandemic, whatever, whenever that happens, uh, I think we're going to be looking a lot better, be able to produce a better product, even better. We're investing in machinery and all kinds of stuff here. And um, yeah, I, I think um, for me, anything new coming down the pipe, it's just, um, um, I just think that uh, the, who knows what the future is going to be like, you know, like I was talking to a buddy, yep. uh, just talking about Hangtown, you know, two weeks out or a week and a half or whatever it's going to be. Actually, it's almost a week now, but I'm like, you don't even know what tomorrow holds, man. Like, that's why you got to embrace yeah. today, you know? Yeah. I mean, who knows? There, yeah. there could be a fire that rips through Hangtown. You know, with, we live in a world where like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Who knows? You know, with all this crazy stuff happening and, and again, that's why, you know, I think we started off. It's like, you, know, you just gotta, you gotta take every day and embrace it and run with it because you have no idea what tomorrow has. And, and, you know, for us, whether it's me or Yoshimura, like I, I honestly just like my plan is just to, to do today as best I can. And then when tomorrow comes, we'll do that as best we can too. You know, love it. That's great. Great way to end this episode. Great outlook, man. Just keep living, living every day, man. That's what we got to do. So, uh, again, appreciate you coming on. And, uh, well, everyone, that's about it for this episode. Remember to be kind to each other, listen to good music, enjoy life on two wheels, keep the buzz rolling. Thanks for listening.